Good morning, Lake Church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here celebrating. He is not here, but he is risen from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll start off with a little story here. Um, one of my favorite ministers is Derek Prince, and I was listening to a uh, message of his uh, quite some time ago, and um, he began to share that during World War II, of course, Derek Prince has been, went on to be with the Lord. He was a great blessing to the body of Christ for many years and wrote many books, uh, just a tremendous teacher of the Word, uh, actually spoke classical Greek. So he knew what he was talking about when it came to the Greek words of the New Testament. So he, uh, during World War II, he had um, contracted a skin condition that was very painful. And for a great percentage of his time in the war, he was stationed in northern Africa. And he would go from one hospital to the next because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with his skin. And uh, so he is in a particular place. I think, think it was uh, Tangiers or, or Tripoli or somewhere up there in northern Africa around the Libya area. And um, a lady who was praying, who was a captain in the Salvation Army, and uh, she had received her captainship from the death of her husband, and it just transferred over to her. And uh, so she began to pray, and the Lord said, go to this hospital and and speak to this young man. Do you know God knows where you're at? God knows exactly where you're at. You know, in his life, he thought God had forgotten him. You know, he had just newly born again, newly received the Lord. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't think God knew where he was, but God knew where he was. And spoke to a lady clear over in Egypt. And they got in a little car, three of them did. And they went to this hospital. <clears throat> and they pulled him out of his room and they took him outside to the parking lot and sat in this car. It's a little, little car. They had a driver. They had uh, the captain from the Salvation Army. And then they had um, a missionary from Oklahoma. And so they're, they're sitting there, and they bring Derek Prince in. He's still in his robe and everything, you know, because he's been in the hospital. And he said, they just looked at him and said, listen, it's time to pray. So they began to pray in the Spirit. Amen? How many know what I'm talking about, praying in the Spirit? They were praying in other tongues. And they began to pray and began to pray and began to pray. And then all of a sudden, the little missionary lady started shaking. And then the captain of the Salvation Army started shaking. And then the driver started shaking. And Derek said, I started shaking. And he said, and the car started shaking. Amen? And the uh, captain of the Salvation Army gave a tongue, gave a diver's kind of tongue. And uh, the lady from Oklahoma interpreted that tongue. And notice what she said. I want to read to you what she said, what she basically gave forth the interpretation. And this was the answer to the dilemma that uh, Derek was going through. And it's the answer to the dilemma that you're going through here today. Listen to this interpretation. Consider the cross. Consider the cross a perfect work, perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect. Consider the cross. Amen? And I'm here to tell you that that came into his spirit and he realized that if he could really get his focus on the true meaning of the cross, not just the surface action, but truly understand all of the various aspects of the cross, that that was his answer to the dilemma that he was going through. Notice Jesus did not choose to operate through that tongue and interpretation and tell Derek that he was healed. Because Derek was already healed. Because it was a completed work. 
all the Holy Spirit was trying to highlight and what he's trying to highlight here this morning is the completed work of Jesus. The completed work of Jesus by the illumination of the Holy Spirit will heal your marriage, will heal your body, will cause certain things to happen in your life and bring divine favor to you. But we must be students of the cross. Amen? And so the Apostle Paul in the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, and starting with verse number 2, he says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now notice that. The Apostle Paul could have stopped and put the period right after Jesus Christ. He could have put it right there and we would have got the message, okay? But he adds, and him crucified. And him crucified. Why does he do that? Because there's secrets and revelations in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, this isn't in my notes, but let's go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. I tell you, Jesus is wonderful. Amen? Amen. Philippians chapter 2. Now, notice this. I want to start with verse number um, 8. It says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Now, he could put the period right there, and we would have got the picture. But he says this, Even the death on the cross. So obviously there is keys that we're missing. Obviously the cross has been obfuscated, it has been veiled. If we will truly see the cross, then we'll truly see the answer to all of the situations that we're finding ourselves in. Why? Because the cross is a completed work. It's a perfect work. Amen? Hallelujah. It's an absolute perfect work. Amen? Now let's turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Why is the cross important? Well, the Apostle Paul gives us illumination here in the um, second chapter and verse number 20. Notice this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice this. He doesn't say, I am or necessarily I will be. He says, I was. So he's given us an idea of why the crucifixion is so vital to our understanding is that we were, past tense, when Jesus was crucified, we were crucified with him. Jesus didn't have any sin of his own. He didn't have any sickness of his own. He didn't have any poverty of his own. The, the ravages of sin did not take over. He did not have the sin nature. He did not even have the nature of the flesh. He was a perfect sinless lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And when we understand the substitutionary work that he did on the cross and we fully take that in and we fully realize what the ramifications of that was, then praise God, it will open the door to revelation that will make us free in our lives. It's not just an act that we just look back to. It's an act that we walk in. It's an act that affects our lives every day of our lives. From the past to the present to the future, the cross is the great reset of the church. He goes on and he says this. He said, it is, but it is no longer that, that I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, now the Greek says this, I live by the faith. Not by faith, but by the faith. The very same faith that Jesus operated in is in the life of every believer here that calls upon his name. The faith of Jesus 
is the faith that God gave you when you chose to believe his gospel and be transformed. He says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? Now drop down to chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now what a powerful verse that is. The Apostle Paul saying, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's really not me. It's Christ living in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But the region of Galatia, because Galatians is written to a region, it isn't written to just one church, it's written to many churches. And it's written to this church right here. Notice he says, who, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? We've talked to you about that. that. That just simply means who has given you the evil eye and cast a spell on you. Come on, that's really what it means. Because the enemy wants to cast a spell on the church. A spell that veils the work of Jesus. To where you can't see it for what it really is. And when tri trial and tribulation and pressure come into your life, he wants to put a smoke screen in front of you to obscure the work of Jesus on the cross because it doesn't matter what you're going through here today. The work of Jesus on the cross is your solution. You might not see the application of it, but it is absolutely the answer. It is the answer to every human dilemma. The cross is the great reset of the church. And when I go back to the cross... Praise God, I'm going back to the foundation and the start and the roots of my existence. The cross, the cross that grafted me in to the family of God. The cross that made me acceptable unto the Father. The cross that gave me the authority to become the Son of God. Come on now, sons of God. Amen? Now notice he says this. He said, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now notice this, they were not there when Jesus was crucified. In the region of Galatia, which is in the region of, you know, of, of what we would call Eastern Turkey, they were not even aware of what was going on in Jerusalem. They had no concept of a man being executed on a cross. That wasn't something that was known to them. It was through the preaching of the gospel that they began to see Jesus Christ crucified. And it is through the preaching of the gospel today that we see Jesus Christ crucified. They weren't there personally, but the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel message, they were witnesses, witnesses to the crucifixion of Jesus. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today that the reason why we're not seeing the bold faith, why we're, why we're not seeing the great breakthroughs, why we're not seeing the, the ceiling just cracking open and us just exploding out of our realms that we're trapped in, is because we're not allowing the full import of what Jesus did on the cross to be a reality in our lives. Listen, his resurrection does you no good if it doesn't become your resurrection. Amen? It has to be personal. Jesus was given as a substitute for every human being on planet earth. But we must make the decision whether we're going to receive him or reject him. And you can reject the great gift of God through Jesus Christ. But, oh, I'm here to tell you, I'm preaching right now, and the spirit of grace is upon every one of us right now, and we can receive the gift of God. Amen? Now, I'm reminded of a story in Numbers, the 21st chapter. How many remember Numbers 21? Five of you. Not even five. 
Amen. Numbers 21, the children of Israel had just gotten out of Egyptian bondage. They'd been walking for quite some time, uh, for quite many years now. And uh, they started uh, complaining and moaning. Kind of sounds like today. They were kind of moaning and crying and complaining. And they didn't like what God was giving them. They were sick of the manna. They were sick of this. You know, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of going to church. I'm sick of this. This is tiring. Okay. Well, serpents came out. And they began to bite the people. And they were poisonous serpents. And poison surged through their body. And many were weakened and many died. And, and, and there was just absolute chaos in the camp. And this is in the midst of a million people. You know, this is, this is a big group of people. This isn't just 50 people. This is an entire nation. And Moses repents and cries out to God, repents for the people and cries out to God and says, give me the remedy for this. Okay. And the Lord says, take a serpent, make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole. Now notice this, that the very thing that was poisoning them and killing their family members around them, God wanted put on a pole. He wanted a bronze serpent put on a pole, which symbolizes judgment. And he says, and lift it up among the people. And those that will look upon it shall be healed. So that means in the chaos with babies crying, with kids yelling, with grandpa dying, that they were to, supposed to take their gaze off of their situation they were supposed to take their gauge off of the chaos. They were supposed to shut down Fox News and CNN. They were supposed to not look at their Twitter account and not scroll their Facebook timeline. They had to get their eyes off of TikTok and their eyes off of what the media is saying about the situation that's going on in the world. The snake has been biting and the poison has been thriving, but yet we look. I said, we look not at the problems and the situations that are in our lives, but, but upon the cross, because that's what it was. It was a type of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in John chapter three, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so must the son of man be lifted up. So if their cure was to look at a type of Jesus, then how much more you and I look at the antitype, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now you know why the apostle Paul said, I have determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Amen. So there are aspects of the cross that are not fully clear to us. I, I have to admit that I had to begin to look at this stuff myself again. I've been born again now for over 30 years. And I needed to remind myself of the great sacrifice of Jesus and what he went through. And there are things in the text as I went through the various texts of Jesus' crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection, which we're celebrating today. And I began to see that there were aspects of it that just hadn't registered in my life. And then as you begin to study history and you begin to study the, the horrific act of crucifixion and what it meant to be crucified, then you can get revelation from that as well. Because Jesus bore your sin. So what we need to understand is that the cross defines certain things in our lives. It is actually the definition. So if I need to know, say for instance, the severity of sin, I can look to the cross. The closer I see the cross, the more I see the severity of what sin is like. We see a man that has been totally stripped naked, a man that has totally been scourged and beaten. He was beaten by several groups of guards when he was taken into custody from the Sanhedrin guards, they beat him. He went to Pilate and they beat him. And he went to Herod and they beat him. And he went back to Pilate and they beat him again. 
So his body was absolutely bruised and swelling. By the time he was even going down the road to the cross, his body was already ravaged, not to mention the cat of nine tails that was scraped across his back and across his body, ripping open his flesh. And what this gives us a visual of is that you might look good on the outside, brother. You might look good on the outside, sister. But I'm telling you, the ravage of sin is the ravaging of the spirit of man that is, uh, that is uh, not reconciled to God and is separated from God, has been raz- ravaged and pillaged and is naked and destitute and wretched. And when I look to the cross, I see who I should be because that was my lot. That was my consequences. That that should have been what I went through. And God, manifest in the flesh, decided that I'm going to take the curse for you. I'm going to substitute myself in your place. Amen. What also, it defines the consequences and effects of sin. The wrath of God was poured out on the Savior. You deserve that wrath. I deserve that wrath. We all deserved it. But yet Jesus said, give it to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you understand this? I need only look at the cross and see that sin can ravage my life. And that every time I yield to sin in my life, that it's just like a wound has been opened in me. A bruise has come forth in me. The ravages and effects of sin is something that we learn from the cross. But we also learn some other things. We learn the depths of the love of God towards us through the cross. Oh, that's exciting. I said we learn the depths of the love of God when we look at the cross. Praise God. If God would give his only begotten son on our behalf, then what would he withhold from us? The goodness of God was displayed in that atrocious and repulsive moment in time. I need only to look at the cross and absorb it in my life to understand the depths of God's love for me. That he would send someone to take my place, that he himself would take my place. Because Jesus just didn't die for you. He died as you. So when I see the cross, I see me. I see me ravaged. I see me beaten. Why? I identify with it. Now, I couldn't have went through that. I didn't have the fortitude to do that, and I couldn't die for anybody. But the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh because of his great love. Oh, Ephesians says that, because of his great love. His unsatisfied love. He wanted, he wanted to, he, he, wanted, he loved us so much that, that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the very best that he had for us. And that is something that I can hold on to. How do I know God loves me? Calvary. There's people wrestle with that. People wrestle with the love of God. They wrestle with the fact, does God love me? Listen, God has shown you and displayed to you openly his love towards you through the death of his son. You know, when we take communion, you know, we, we, we talk about resurrection and we should. But you can't have resurrection without a death. And when we take communion, we're not celebrating the resurrection. He said, as often as you partake of this, you show forth the Lord's 
death until he comes. So the death's important. In fact, the death, burial, and resurrection all tie together. But the death is vital and important because it allowed God to legally pay for the sins of the world. It is a legal transaction. It also defines the price of our redemption. We need to understand that it wasn't just the blood of a man that was shed for us. It was the very blood of God. You see, the virgin birth ensured that that, uh, Jesus was not tainted with the blood of Adam, the blood of fallen man. Because he was conceived by the Spirit in the inside of Mary out of a virgin and came forth from a virgin, it means that he was not tainted with the sin nature. And he had the very blood of God flowing through his veins. So your payment, if you want to understand your worth today, if you want to understand God's value for you, then you need to understand that the blood of God is a currency that is no longer in play. The blood of God is the highest level of currency there is. We were not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are valuable in the eyes of God. God values you so much that he gave the very best currency there was, the life of his son. What does the blood represent? The life is in the blood. The life was given for you. Someone gave his life for you. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to read a a portion out of Rick Renner's book, Paid in Full. In this book, he describes, and I would encourage all of you to get it and to read it, especially during this time, but the problem is, is that we only really talk about the cross and the resurrection at Easter. We really need to be focusing on it every day. Because the Apostle Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. So that means that it's a part of my life. He said, the life that I live now is based upon that. I died and he lives in me. Amen? So I've got to learn to walk in that reality. Well, it, it pays to know what happened at the cross. You see, Jesus could have died many different ways. He could have been martyred. Someone could have murdered him and killed him, although he was murdered. But, you know, you could use a knife and stab him or you could have decapitated him or whatever. But the cross is a different type of death. It symbolizes the prolonged death of a man separated from God. Crucifixion was about asphyxiation. All the wounds that Jesus had, uh, the piercings and the cat of nine tails and the beatings that he received and the crown of thorns that was thrust upon his head... Those didn't kill him. Jesus died like everyone who has ever crucified died of heart failure. What does the heart symbolize? It symbolizes the spirit of man. The fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What was the one thing that was taken away from him as he was there? Because what they would do is they would hoist, they would take, and they would put five-inch nails in the midst of their wrist in between the two bones. They would hang them on that cross beam, and then they would lift them up and hoist them up on the vertical beam, and then they they would just forcefully force them down, and the joints of his arms would come out. I don't know if you've had any kind of shoulder pain, but it can be the most excruciating pain you've ever had in your life. And here he was, hanging with his joints, displaced in pain, his whole body shaken and rattled by the beatings that he had. His body actually 
beginning to puff up. That's the reason why the Bible says that he wasn't, didn't even resemble a man. What was taken from him? Well, they, they would nail his feet together. And the only way someone could breathe on the cross was they had to lift up with their feet. Well, if you've got a five-inch nail in your feet, I'm telling you, I can't stand a tub, stub toe. I mean, you're walk, yimping around and stuff like that. You think you're having to take your life breath by lifting up. What was taken from him? His breath. The very gift that was given to Adam on the second chapter of Genesis when he breathed the breath of lives. We're seeing a prolonged because it took from 9 o'clock in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he was beaten even before that time. The 9 o'clock in the morning culminated or, 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 or basically coronated the start of the priesthood's day in which he would take the Lamb of God and he would slay the Lamb of God at 9 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock, he would do the same thing. And Jesus fulfilled both of those in a day's time by, being, by his blood being spilt at 9 a.m. and then eventually giving up the ghost at 3 o'clock. It was an arduous, horrific, reviling death. We look at the cross, we hang the cross up in our house, we wear it around our necks. But when you talk to someone in that time, the cross was reviled. The cross was anathema. The cross was a curse. They didn't see it as endearing as you and I see it. They saw it as horrific. It would be akin to our modern day lethal injection or our modern day electric chair. It'd be like you hanging an electric chair around your neck. It was not thought of the way that we think about it. And oftentimes, because we see it as a decoration, we lose the gravity. I'm not against cross jewelry. I'm not against hanging crosses in homes. I'm not against any of that. But if it's taken away from the bloody mess, if it's taken away from the pain and the suffering, if it's causing you to be dulled to the fact that God hung in shame, then you'd be better off without it. Listen to what Rick Renner says. He says, no death was more scandalous than death on a cross. Is absolutely scandalous. Such a death was dreadful and hideous, designed to discredit and tarnish the memory of the one dying. Blood drenched Jesus' torso, pouring from his head and brow, running like water from the deeply torn flesh in his hands and feet. The effects of the scourging that Jesus had received in Pilate's palace began to take its toll as his body swelled up and became horribly discolored. His eyes were matted with the blood that poured from the wounds in his brow, wounds caused by the crown of thorn that bore down in his skull as the soldiers pushed it hard upon his head. The whole scene was ugly, unsightly, repulsive, sickening, vile, foul, and revolting. In the Jewish world, nakedness was a particular profound shame. That's the reason why Hitler would always uh, cause the, the Jewish people to be naked when they were executed. Because to them, now Greeks didn't have any problem with being naked. Romans didn't have a problem with nakedness. Jews did. Why? Because they believed they were created in the image of God. And it was a shame to be uncovered. Hello. Amen. 
we need some of that attitude today. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> There's a lot of TikTok videos that need to. So as if Jesus' suffering had not already been enough, he experienced the ultimate act of degradation and shame as he hung on the cross naked and exposed before all those who watched the unfolding drama. Let's look at a scripture in the Old Testament prefigured about six, seven hundred years before this happened. Isaiah, the 52nd, we're going to look at the 52nd and the 53rd chapter. This is important for us to get a hold of. Amen? Hallelujah. It says in verse 13 of chapter 52, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance, talking about Jesus' appearance, the Messiah's appearance, was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. That was Jesus' physical presentation upon the cross. But we must understand something, that it wasn't the lash of the Roman whip nor was it the bruising of the Sanhedrin guard or the Roman guard. It was what God did to Jesus that truly matters. Amen? We have to understand that Jesus exposed himself to the wrath of God when he was obedient. When he said, not my will, but your will be done, sometimes we don't even realize what that meant, the ramifications of what that meant. Listen, Jesus over and over in his earthly ministry said, do not fear those that can kill the body. You know, you shouldn't fear man. Amen? We do, but we shouldn't fear man. But man can only take away the body. But there is someone higher And Jesus began to share that over and over and over again. He said, there is someone that can destroy both body and spirit. That's who we need to fear. And I'm telling you, the fear in the Garden of Gethsemane was not the Sanhedrin guard that was coming for him. It was not Pilate's palace. It was not the crucifixion. It was being the object that God's wrath would be poured out upon. Are you getting a hold of this? Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 53. We're going to skip a little bit for sake of time. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him, speaking of Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I love verse 4. Surely, you can't get more affirmative than that. Surely, amen, everybody say surely. Surely. That means of a surety. That means you can take it to the bank. That means that it is absolutely steadfastly true. Surely he has borne our griefs. That's the word for sickness, amen. Surely he has borne our sickness. Praise God, if you're going through sorrow and grief today. If you're going through sickness, praise God, Jesus bore it on the cross. I said Jesus bore it on the cross. He said he carried our sorrows. If you're dealing with sorrow today, many people are sorrowful over the loss of loved ones, over the loss of opportunity, over the loss of things that have happened in their life. I'm here to tell you, Jesus bore your sorrow. The word sorrow there is also the word for pain. Jesus bore your pain. The painful death on the cross. Every joint of his body displaced. His whole body ravaged and bruised. His whole body split wide open and bleeding profusely out of those scars. 
His whole body was beaten for you so that he could bear your pain. Amen. Hallelujah. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. If we were there, we would have thought God's cursed him, and certainly he did. Because he became what we were. He became who we were. He that knew no sin became my sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. Thank God for the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross. He took my place. He took my punishment. He took the wrath of God on my behalf. Hallelujah. But he was pierced for my transgressions. If you're dealing with transgression, Jesus was pierced for it. He was crushed for your iniquity. If you're dealing with iniquity in your life, you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with addiction, Jesus took your iniquity. Praise God. Hallelujah. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. If you're in a situation in which you have no peace, I'm here to tell you that the Prince of Peace, he hung on a cross for you so that you could have peace. A crown of thorns was put upon his head, recognizing the mental torment that comes upon people's lives and the harassment of the enemy. But praise God, hallelujah, Jesus took that crown of thorns so that you could take the crown of life. Hallelujah. And he was, and with his wounds, we are healed. Now, a lot of people, they stop right there. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but I want you to drop down to verse number 10. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief, the same word sickness. He has put him to sickness. The actual Hebrew says, it pleased the Lord to punish him. Jehovah has made him sick. Now, why is that? So that he can make you whole in every way, spirit, soul, and body. Spirit, soul, and body. Jesus' sacrifice was a spirit, soul, and body sacrifice. Amen? Now, let's look at another passage of Scripture that will give it to us. See, we've got to consider the cross, a perfect work. Perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect. See, we've got to live from that basis, friend. If you're not fully convinced of what Jesus did on the cross and you haven't received it, totally in your life, you're, not, you're going to live from the wrong basis. You're going to be a religious believer. You're going to live by rules and regulations. And you're going to find out that you're not going to be able to do that. Because the harder you try to make yourself acceptable to God, the harder it becomes. The more futile it becomes. Well, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm going to church and I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to do that. Listen, if you don't understand the cross, it's not that those things aren't good. But the basis is not, I don't read my Bible to get acceptance from God. I read my Bible to understand my already accepted position. I don't read my Bible to get healed. I read my Bible to realize that I'm already healed and I just need to walk. Because he said, with his stripes, you are healed. Well, 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bore my sins in his body on the tree, that I, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes I was, past tense, healed. So it's already done. See, the Old Testament saint looked forward to the cross. Their faith was placed in what Jesus would do. But we look back on already finished, completed, and seated work. We look back on already done, redemptive sacrifice, and the basis of our life changes. The cross changes everything. Amen? Let's look at Psalm 22.
You know, it's good just to sit and to meditate and to see Jesus on the cross and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal these things to you because it, it makes you realize, because that's one thing that the devil uses. He uses the fact that God doesn't love you. God's silent. God's not speaking right now. The heavens are brass. How many have ever been in that where you feel like you're not getting anywhere? Well, I'm telling you, you begin to meditate on the cross, you realize God's already moved and God's art. Listen to this. God's already done everything he's going to do about your problem. Hello. I've got a lot more. I got to get going here. All right. Notice the first verse of this. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that Jesus uttered those words on the cross, didn't he? See, God forsook him because God made him to be our sin. Okay? So as he's hanging on the cross, God placed on him the iniquity of us all. That's what Isaiah 53 says. He became our scapegoat. And how many remember the scapegoat in the Old Testament? The priest would lay his hand upon the goat and pronounce the sins of Israel and then they would release that goat to be killed, okay? And that's this picture here. And the scapegoat would lift up, carry away, and remove the sin of Israel for a year. Come on now. Jesus, once and for all, lifted up, carried away, and removed our sin, deposited in the pits of hell, and was raised from the dead without it so that he could bring newness of life to you and I. He said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. Amen? Amen. He says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? You know, many people have been saying that over this period of time, over the last two years. Why haven't you answered my prayers? Why, why is this going on? What's going on? I don't understand this. You know, Jesus on the cross was tempted in all points like we are, but yet without sin. He asked the same questions. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better to understand that the Messiah questioned God on the cross, even though he had already made up his mind, he was going to do the will of God, regardless of how he felt, regardless of what questions came in his mind, he was going to fulfill the will of God. But I'm here to tell you during the process, he was tempted to doubt God. He was, because that's what he's saying right here. Notice what he says. Oh my God, I cry by day. But you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Notice what the first uh, verse 3 says. Yet you are holy. Now, why is he saying that? Why is he saying that God is holy? Because he became sin, who knew no sin. Praise God. God's holiness stood over him as he became the sin for you and I. He understood that there was now a separation between him and his father that he had never experienced before. He never experienced it. And now he's experiencing it. So much that he cried out, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? God turned his back on his son so that he could turn his face towards you. He could turn his face towards you. Amen. Notice verse six. It says, but I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for his delight is in him. Drop down to verse number uh, 14. It says, I am poured out like water. That's exactly the way the Lord felt on the cross. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint, just like we said. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. You know what? I felt that. Not to the degree that Jesus felt it, but I, I was in the hospital, and I felt that. My heart melt like wax. That is not a feeling that you want to go through. But I'm here to tell you, if you're dealing with heart failure today, or you're dealing with heart disease of any kind, 
Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. His heart melted so that your heart could be strong. Amen. He said, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. Amen. Now I'm going to close this out right now. Got three minutes. All right. John, the 19th chapter. In verse number 30. This is Jesus on the cross. Listen, we're considering the cross. A perfect work. Perfect in every respect. Perfect in every aspect. You don't need to add to it. You don't need to do anything else to make it work. It's done. It's completed. It's perfected. And Christ is seated. That means he is retired from his redemptive work. He's not up in the air about what you're going through. He already gave the provision for it. What did Derek Prince get? Did he get a word? You're going to be healed at such and such, and you're going to notice new strength, and you're going to know. No, he didn't give him that. And a lot of times we want words like that. Your son's going to come home on April 28th, and it's going to be it. We'd love to have words like that. But instead, God gave him something greater. He gave him the remedy. He gave him the prescription for all of his ills, not just for what he was going through with his skin, but for what he was going through in his entire life. And it's the remedy for you. Consider the cross a perfect work. The more I consider the cross, the more the power of the cross is manifest in my life. The more I understand that it's a perfect work that can never be added to or taken away from, that God himself provided a sacrifice and brought the sacrifice to us, and that is absolutely perfect. I don't need to work to get it. I don't need to pray to get it. I don't need to read to get it. I don't need to give my life to get it. No one has to give their life for me to get it. It's already done. As far as God is concerned, the complete overpayment for planet Earth has already been paid 2,000 years ago. He already paid for your redemption. All you've got to do is receive it. Notice this. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Amen. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now that word, it is finished, is a declaration, much like as many of us watched Braveheart and we saw Mel Gibson and that makeup say, or when, when he was on the table and he screamed what? He screamed freedom. It's the same thing, but greater. It is finished. Tetelestai in the Greek, one word. We've got three words in, you see, the, um, the English, but it's just one long Greek word. Tetelestai. And when Jesus said Tetelestai, he meant it's complete, it's perfect, it's wrapped up, it's over. Oh, come on now. There are four aspects to this word, tetelestai, four aspects that were used in Roman culture. Number one, number one, this is what Jesus was saying when he said, tetelestai, from the cross, from the cross, right before he gave up the ghost, he said, tetelestai, when a servant would leave on behalf of their master, and they would go and accomplish something like build something or make something happen or a business transaction. And they would go off and they would do the task and they would complete the task. They would come back to their master and they would come to the master and they would say, Tatalestai. 
the task is completed. What you sent me to do is accomplished. And Jesus said that in the 17th chapter. He said this to, to God. He's praying to God with his disciples in the upper room. And he says, give back the glory that I once had because I have completed the work that you have given me. Amen. I'm here to tell you there's nothing lacking in Jesus' work. He came back to the throne of God and he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. The work is done. Secondly, this word was used at the temple. During the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year, just once, he would take the blood of the sacrificial animal and he would put it upon the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And when he began to check himself and realize that God had accepted it, that he had performed it precisely and concisely, he would utter the words, Tetelestai. It is finished. And what that meant was that Israel was forgiven of sin for the next year. Tetelestai. Number three. In the Roman world, when you were under a great debt or you borrowed money to start a business or you borrowed money for any kind of thing, endeavor that you wanted to do and you owed somebody, you would come and you would pay the bill and on your scrip, they would take wax and they would put a seal on the parchment that said, Tetelestai which means paid in full. Oh, you didn't get that. I don't think you got that. I don't think you got that. Paid in full. Your debt's been paid. Your debt's been paid. Why wrestle with guilt and shame? Why wrestle with condemnation? Your bill's been paid. Jesus was not only the sacrifice, but he was also the priest. No man could take his life. He gave it up. He gave himself up for you. It was a decision. Listen, he walked through many crowds that wanted to kill him, but they couldn't kill him. And in fact, when the Sanhedrin guard came to take him, he said, the only way you can take me is because it's God's time for you to take me. He said, I'm letting you do this. Peter, he looked at Peter after Peter cut off Malachus's ear. And he says, don't you know that I can call 10 legions of angels? Did you know that God, that Jesus on the cross could have shouted out and said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Father, send me and praise God. God would have rescued him. But he chose to stay for the joy that was set before him. He chose to stay, amen? Now what does tetelestai also mean? Fourthly, it means the end of something and the beginning of something. It means the end of something and the beginning of something. It means the end of something and the beginning of something. Tetelestai, the end of something and the beginning of something. I like, I'm going to end with this verse right here. Acts the 13th chapter. They'll have it on the screen. Acts the 13th chapter. The Apostle Paul preaching his first message in the region of Galatia. And he says, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Amen? Amen. So let it be known. And I'm letting it known right now. Jesus Christ has been crucified right before you this morning. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, 
that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you've never heard the word to telestai in your heart, because some of you are toiling, some of you are trying to make it work, you're trying to make changes in your life, you're trying, you're struggling, you're struggling and you go one step forward and 12 steps back, you're trying to live right. Listen, retire from that. Retire from that and receive the finished work of Jesus today. You don't have to work for your salvation. The grace of God is extended towards you just as we proclaim today that it is finished. Consider the cross, a perfect work perfect in every respect, perfect in every aspect. It's absolutely yours today for the taking. It's yours. Jesus on the cross peered through time and saw you at this place, at this time, at this moment. And he wants you to hear the same words that they heard when they were physically on Golgotha's hill. You are spiritually on Golgotha's hill. And do you hear it? Do you hear telestai? Do you hear it is finished? Do you hear paid in full? Because that's the message of the gospel. The gospel isn't trying to live for God. The gospel is letting God live through you. The gospel isn't trying to take rules and conduct and dot every I and cross every T. It's about letting a loving Savior come inside and make his habitation on the inside of you and bring his life to you and transform your life. And if that's you here today, just by the upraised hand, we're gonna have ministers. Come on up here, ministers, hallelujah. Hallelujah, in Jesus' name. We got ministers here to help you, to pray with you, to make sure that you're right with God. I can't think of a greater day. I can't think of a greater day than to receive Christ than right now, right here, right now. Amen. Maybe you're here and you're wavering. Maybe the situations in your life have caused you to struggle in your relationship with God. I'm here to tell you the same message I gave to you to bring you to salvation is the same message that can keep you and sustain you through difficulty. And if you're here today and you need Jesus, you need a fresh touch from the Lord? Praise God, we're right here. We're right here. Amen. Maybe you're here today. We need to understand that the sacrifice of Jesus was given for one thing and one thing only. is to clean you so that he could put his spirit within you. And praise God, when you're born again, you become one with the spirit of God. God dwells on the inside of you. But there's also what is known as the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and endues you with power from on high to do service for God. And if you haven't experienced that in your life, you need to do so this morning. So these beautiful people here, they're here ready to help you. If you need deliverance, if you need healing in your body, they're right here. We're here. We don't want you walking out not knowing that you're right with the Lord. Walk out with what you came for. Walk out with what you came for. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. 
I believe uh, Jesse's going to come and close us out. Praise God. These people are going to be up. Praise the Lord. Amen. We got some people coming up for prayer. And, and, and we've got the baptismal pool up. Now, it is warm. Not like last time. Something happened. I think Matthew put a bag of ice in it or something right before they got in. And it was kind of cold. But I'm telling you, it is, ooh, it feels good. I almost want to get in there myself right there, take a bath. But if you're here and you say, you know what, I can't think of a better day. It's ready and available. We had a young man that had to cancel on us, and, but we had it fired up. Be ashamed not to use it. And if you'd like to, we'll do it. We'll oblige because God is good. Amen. Praise God. Happy Resurrection Day. Praise the Lord. Amen.